Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy doing that terribly annoying thing where I laugh before the joke is told because the joke or story in this case is so funny. I mean, Lisa Joe, I knew science mattered, but I didn't realize it mattered quite so much. Seriously, Christy, I had no <laughs> idea that a baking disaster would turn into an Easter morality play. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I'm just 100% here for it. Friends, get comfy. Here we go. Well, last week, I felt like for the very first time, a true listener of our podcast because (laughs) I was in the car driving to Panera to get a drink and a bacon, egg, cheese, and avocado breakfast sandwich, if you want to (laughs) know. And I thought to myself, ooh, there's a new Out of the Ordinary episode that I haven't heard because I wasn't there to record it. And I was like really exciting when I hit play and I heard your voice introducing it and the special guest, our good friend Jonathan. And I actually sat in the parking lot at Panera in a patch of sunshine uh, drinking and eating and listening to two of my oldest friends on the podcast. And I thought to my listeners, lucky you listeners, this is a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you should leave us more reviews. I will say on that note, I, uh-huh. our last review is related to the rabies episode. <laughs> and oh, no. it's been a while <laughs> since then. So somebody, please take mercy on us and go and leave a lovely review. I'm tempted to do it myself since I sat in the car and very much enjoyed the episode. <laughs> So, Christy, <laughs> thank you to Jonathan uh, for filling in for me. You guys were so cute sharing your microphone as I shared my sandwich and listened. That is fantastic. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, that you would get to receive the episode yeah. just like a listener. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. But yes, please, listeners, leave a review so that people don't stumble on us and think this is a podcast about, <laughs> you know, bizarre diseases. <laughs> Actually... You know what? So since you brought it up, Lisa Joe, yesterday um, we got some mail and, and I was talking to Jonathan about something very important, like deeply important to me. And I asked a question. I was waiting for feedback and he, he was ignoring me. He was not answering. He was reading this piece of mail. Well, <laughs> it turns out it was from our insurance company. Is oh, it not no. even our insurance company? It sounded more like it was from like a, attorneys or lawyers Dead collectors. It was a, it was, it's, so he's reading this thing. And then finally, after ignoring me, ignoring me, he looks up and he says, did Elsa get a leg wound? (laughs) And I said, I immediately said, yes, remember from the bat. (laughs) He said, oh, well, apparently if you take a child, I mean, this is good. This is good to know. If you take a child to the emergency room with a wound or an injury, um, there will be follow-up questions. So yes, we have some forms to fill out now, but we are able to let them know that it is um, uh, all the fault of a bat who has is now deceased. So no worries <laughs> on that score. <laughs> So apparently we are still the podcast that talks about weird diseases and rabies oh and bad no. bites. Okay, quick, quick, pivot, pivot. Pivot. Which actually, Lisa Joe, I think that's what we're going to talk about today. Those sudden crazy pivots, because that really is what we had to do last week. Um, just to let you inside the um, 
extra amazing professional planning that goes into mapping <laughs> all the episodes here at Out of the Ordinary. Um, I think last week, you know, we checked in and I had COVID, very little voice. You were rushing to get on a plane to um, another state with your family. And all of a sudden, I think we just realized it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. What do we do? Mm-hmm. What do we do? And uh, what do we do? We rope in the husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking before we started, you and I were chatting and you were giving this example, of course, from a storybook of a character that I thought when you described her, I was like, oh, that is that is us right now. Like That is so much <laughs> of all of us. And so I'm going to need you to paint that picture for the people because this is, I think, how all of us might feel, especially come like February, March, that time of year where the weather turns against you. You think it's right. going to get nice. It doesn't. Your schedule piles up. I'm very angry with Lisa Joe from a year and a half ago who agreed to several things that Lisa Joe currently now has to fulfill. <laughs> I am... The character that Christy is going to describe. Right. So I'm sure many of our listeners are very familiar, especially if they're about our age, um, with the little slim book called The Greatest Christmas Pageant Ever. I should have looked up the author. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, fantastic book. I know they also made it into like a made-for-TV movie, I think, in the early 80s. So some may have encountered it there. But if you remember the story, you remember that it's all about the annual church Christmas pageant, which every year for year upon year upon year has been organized and led by the same um, senior church lady. <laughs> but this year, uh, right before pageant practices or auditions are about to begin, she breaks her leg, which I feel like if the story were written today, she would catch COVID. Like, that's what would <laughs> so in the story, um, she is now in the hospital with her leg up in traction. This is, remember, early 80s, I think this came out. So this is like before email, before cell phones. So as often as she can, she is um, manipulating the nurses to bring her a hospital telephone so that she can call at all hours. Actually, I think normally during dinner time, she calls the poor young mom who has been um, roped into running the pageant at the church because she is so determined that it still be done her way <laughs> and that she still be involved and that she still really be directing the whole thing, even if she is stuck in this hospital bed with her leg, you know, up over her head. <laughs> I thought of it because... What do we do, right? When we are set on a course, we have obligations to fulfill. Our reputation is on the line, right? And we break our leg or get COVID or have to hop on a plane to Florida all of a sudden or whatever it is. What do we do? And I feel like, even though we need to untangle this a bit, because you and I, and I think in our own lives are still figuring out what do we do, but I do feel like the clear object lesson from the greatest Christmas pageant ever is that we don't 
white knuckle our hold on whatever it is the way the, the church lady with the broken leg did in that story. Well, I have to say, I Googled it while you were talking, and it's called The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. And it in 1983, it was turned into a movie because I felt like I had a memory of watching this woman in a wheelchair. And there's really, if you will put this link in the show notes, it's really funny. It breaks down the movie, but there's a photograph that's clearly, it's a compilation of four different scenes from the movie and it is obviously the heart of the tension of <laughs> the drama that is playing out but what's great Chrissy is each person in this four grouping of four is on the phone clearly with the old, older woman but they are in one of those old rotary phones like you can see the yes. cord that they're each holding as they're you know speaking with heightened tension and drama into the phone to her as she's at home. And it made me laugh so much because I think that is such a great picture of how we feel sometimes where we're just like, why is this happening? I have to fix it. Even though I've been sidelined, even though other people have said that they were help, I am going to make it right by the sheer force of my will and volume of my voice. Is <laughs> how it feels a lot of the time. I know. And that was me last Oh, I've lost track of time. I don't know, a week or two ago. Um, because Lisa Joe, I was actually, when I realized I was sick, I was in a hotel room finishing up a talk for a conference. I was like on the schedule. There's my name. There's the name of my talk. I've all the people I know I'm going to see there. And, um, you know, this thing that's been in the works for a, a, like a year at least, this thing that's been on my calendar for at least a year, uh, maybe longer. And I'm in this hotel room and I feel this tickle at the back of my throat. And I think, hmm, <laughs> hmm. And yeah, sure enough, the next morning I knew I'm in a hotel in a town not my own and I definitely have COVID. So um, yeah, there, I, I feel like for days, actually, even a week, I was I was checking in with our good friend, Amy Knorr, who, um, bless her, filled in for me at the conference. Um, and I was just saying, Amy, I just, I don't even feel like sad to miss it yet. I just feel shocked. Mm. Like, is this happening? <laughs> just shocked. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. think, so I have a story. It's been a while since I've We've dug out something from the story archives that we haven't shared before. But I, as we were thinking about this visual of someone trapped in a wheelchair with a broken leg or in a hotel room having COVID, whatever it is in your life today where you cannot move forward as planned mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how there is this <laughs> jarring moment where it feels really shocking. It made me laugh because I thought about how recently <laughs> my daughter Zoe, Christy knows the story. I just wanted to, to listeners, I'm sorry. I, I got a preview of the story. So I'm going to do that super irritating thing where I'm laughing in advance. Because it's so funny. Okay, I will. I will see. No, stop. I'm closing my lips. Please Feeling do. my lips over here. Laughter Tell your story, appropriate. So just, just recently, so literally in the last month or so, I have a, an 11 year old who will turn 12 in two weeks. And for her science class, they were given an assignment where they had to do a project in which they documented the benefits of science. And there are many different <laughs> options that you could do. Like you could do an experiment, you could do research on a scientist, or you could do some kind of baking project. Because any of us who know anything about baking, and I know very little, understand that baking, unlike cooking, is much more science than art. It does 
matter in which order you combine things and how much you put in of certain of these essentially chemicals to create a cake. (laughs) So anyway, my daughter prefaces to me this project with her wail about why does science matter? No one cares about science. I'm never going to use science in my life. She's telling me (laughs) dramatically as she also tells me with a picture she's pulled up how she's going to be baking this double-decker chocolate cake with a chocolate creamy frosting and strawberries that are going to be all over the top. And the photograph she shows me is, let's just say, it's like the Joanna Gaines of cakes, all right? Not the even the Betty Crocker. Like, it's the Joanna Gaines of cakes she is now going to bake. I, anticipating how much extra time it's all going to take, offer to her to just pick up a cake mix. Like, what if I just buy you a box cake mix and you follow the instructions? And she says, no, she's going to make it from scratch. To which I say, which recipe are you using? And she then, and this is where I became nervous initially. She tells me she's found a recipe online. Now we all know that that is risky. Okay. Like at least it wasn't off of TikTok. Right. One time off TikTok, she saw something where apparently you grill hot dogs wrapped in bread, wrapped in peanut butter. And, and she was shocked, shocked that it did not taste good <laughs> after she had made it because the girl in the TikTok looked like it was delicious. So I was concerned that she had pulled up this internet recipe. And I said to her, listen, I am working tonight. I'm not going to be able to supervise, to which she poo-pooed my fears, told me she was fine. How hard could it be to make a cake? She's made many cakes in the past and that dad was there if she needed anything. I said, all right, but can we at least like print the recipe off of the internet so you can look at it on a piece of paper as you are baking? To which she also said I was being dramatic and mom, why would I need to do that? She has a phone. She's fine. So I said, okay, but if you need help, come get me. And then I, and then I said to her, remember to really pay attention to like tablespoon versus teaspoon. Like I reiterated to her the different measurements and she rolled her eyes. So I left. I'm down in the bedroom. I'm working and I hear noises and she and her dad are chatting and it sounds cozy and lovely. And now what she's supposed to do for this project is document via photographs each step of the process. Like here's me mixing. Here's my cake in a pan. Here it is in the oven. Here it is so beautiful. Now I've decorated it and then do a slideshow sharing why science matters. The whole time I could hear her grumbling to her dad, like, what does this have to do with science? Science is stupid. Why does science? I'm never going to use science in my real life. That's what she keeps saying. So I'm in the bedroom and I have to go down to get a glass of water. And as I walk down, I smell like a smell that smells a little off, like not quite the cake aroma (laughs) that I feel should be in the kitchen at this point. (laughs) But I also sense her defensiveness and she's already anticipating my criticism is how she perceives it. So all I say to her is like, oh, wow, look at you guys. Is the cake in already? And she's like, yeah, it is. We did it, mom. It's fine. And I congratulate her and say how lovely and wonderful. And I'm like, wow, that's so great. So everything went good. I'm so proud of you. And she laughs and says, well, I mean, except for the fact that instead of instead of a teaspoon of baking soda, I put in a cup. Ha, ha, ha. And I think she's joking. Right. So I laugh too. And I'm like, I know, good one. And she's like, I know, but dad said it won't matter. And then I turn back around and look at her and I say, wait, what? 
you're joking, right? And she's like, no, no. I mean, when we did the flour and the salt and the baking powder, it also called for some baking soda. Um, and I accidentally put a cup and a half instead of a teaspoon and a half. <laughs> a cup and a half. And I look at her and I say, so you threw it out, right? And started again. And she's like, no, no, because we mixed it up. It all looked fine. And I said, because it was all white, like all the powders, <laughs> like, what do you mean it was fine? And and then, and this is a direct quote, she said, I told dad and dad said, Zoe, it's just ingredients. It doesn't matter that much as long as you have baked it with love. That is literally <laughs> what he told her. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, no, science matters, <laughs> not just love, science. And Christy, at that point, she and I turned toward the oven, and with fear in my heart, I pulled open the door, and there was a chocolate volcano <laughs> happening. I've never seen anything like it. The two pans that were in the oven had risen so massively, and the center of this ooey-gooey disaster had formed like a fountain. It was shooting up and then pouring pouring over the edge of the cake pans down into the bottom of the oven where it was catching fire. <laughs> it was just clouds of smoke billowing, billowing out. I slammed the door closed and I looked at her and I said, baking powder and baking soda matter how much you put in because science matters, daughter. Get your camera. <laughs> Get your camera. And we documented the disaster happening in my oven. She was so shocked. She couldn't even do anything. She just stood there watching. <laughs> I had to put a cookie sheet under these two exploding cake pans to try to catch the batter that was literally like pouring into the inside of the oven. I pull them out. They are charred. They're smoking. They're on fire. The whole inside of the oven is lined with batter. And I just start taking photographs. <laughs> like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is going to be your science project, my friend. You're going to do a project on what happens if you get it wrong and it ended up being the most hysterical project she had all these slides of like the cake she wanted to make she had pictures of the size of a cup versus the size <laughs> of a teaspoon <laughs> the baking soda box then she had a picture of the charred pans the interior of the oven and I'm telling you, it was a gripping presentation on the value of science in regular <laughs> life. She said her class laughed so hard and her teacher said, Zoe, I have been teaching this for my entire career and this is the first time I have ever seen something like this. <laughs> I said to Zoe, do you want to just take the strawberries that she had bought to put on top of the cake? to feed people and she said at first she was gonna but then it was too stressful doing all the cleaning up and she ate them in the <laughs> kitchen and she said no they could have the full experience of how there was nothing <laughs> and I think about that often because she came to me days later and she was like I mean mom it looked right like when we looked at it it didn't look different and dad did say like love is what matters <laughs> when you bake <laughs> 
And I just feel like it's the perfect capsule story of how like you can have all the best intentions, you can have all the love, you can have all of those things, and still your cake turns into a volcano, your leg gets broken, <laughs> you get COVID, you're overscheduled for a month, it's nobody's fault but your own, and you're just sitting there thinking, <laughs> I don't want to get out of the situation. And so friends, what's happening here today this is the equivalent of us documenting with a photograph. Here we are documenting on the podcast those kind of moments because we just, we have them. We have the moments where it's supposed to be the greatest Christmas show ever. And instead, right? it's like a broken telephone of disaster choruses that we keep sending back and forth to each other. Oh, Lisa Joe, it's even better hearing it in its full glory for a second time. <laughs> I received that story of why science matters. <laughs> so I love it because, I mean, that was the pivot of all pivots, just to own the disaster, right? Yeah. Like own yeah. the mistake, own the disaster, not try to hide it. And maybe that's where we really get in trouble. That's where the stress really pours in is when we feel like we we have to hide it or we feel like we have to fix it. You know, she didn't try to fix it either. And we are really always about fixing ourselves and fixing things and fixing situations. And uh, there are those moments where we're finally pushed to a place where we realize that fixing is not an option or that fixing will like kill us. Like we'll be up all night making another cake. Like it is not, it, we just can't. We're at the end of ourselves. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe there are actually a lot more opportunities, not just when we're in, in like a desperate place, but probably a lot more places where instead of trying to fix, we should just let, let something go. Maybe let even, I mean, hey, I don't know. I don't want to over-spiritualize it too much, but we are in the season of Lent, which is a lot about letting go, <laughs> letting go of habits, letting go of patterns, letting go of crutches, just letting go of the things we we stuff in to feel like we're okay and everything's okay. And maybe Lent is this invitation to even like let that go and to sit in the fact that a lot of the time we're not okay. We have messed up or we are sick or we've broken our, we've fallen and we can't get up, you know, whatever it is, or we've overscheduled ourselves. Or Anyway, I know Lisa Joe. this is something I have struggled a lot with when I find myself in places of overwhelm, particularly if I'm, if there's too much stress, too much stuff is scheduled. And I feel like because I'm stressed, because I'm overwhelmed, it must be my fault, and sometimes it is, right? Zoe made a mistake, <laughs> yes, but it was her fault. <laughs> it was her fault. So sometimes that is true, but sometimes you just you caught the virus. You fell down. Like it is it's just part of being human. We're human. We, you know, so these things happen. We, right. Making and, mistakes, and even the mistakes is part of it. We're too. human. So we we cannot expect and no one, and and there shouldn't be an expectation that we'll march through every day of our life not ever making mistakes. And actually, I don't even think that should be the goal, a mistake-free life, a life without ever confusing cups and teaspoons or, you know, falling down <laughs> or catching the virus, right? But instead, what do we do in that moment? And um, there's um, a verse in Psalms, oh, probably I should, uh, just popped in my head and I can't remember where it is, but basically it says, you know, um, like, let my soul return, my, my soul returns to its rest. And it's been this refrain in my head lately. Um, we'll definitely stick the, the 
psalm that we'll we'll put a note in the show notes. Um, but this idea has really captured me of um, like in those moments of panic, overwhelm, stress, can't do it to to hear that there is always this invitation from God to just let my soul return to its rest, um, whether it's my fault or you know it's just what's happening. And to remember that just even if we have made a mistake, it's, you know, God is not there now to punish us, you know, with the consequences, right? Like now you must eat a burned cake. Right, right. <laughs> you know, God is so merciful and kind. We can eat the strawberries instead. <laughs> I know. I looked it up quickly. It's Psalm 116, verse 7. And here are a few vers- versions of it. I always love to hear it said a few times. Um, so in the New American Standard Bible, it says, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You. Isn't that beautiful? And New Living Translation says, for the Lord has been good to me. Um, I really like it in the message. It says, I said to myself, relax and rest. God has showered you with blessings. Soul, you've been rescued from death. I, you've been rescued from tears. And you, foot, were kept from stumbling. <laughs> I love that. It's just encouraging and true. <laughs> And I think um, just acknowledges really our, our humanity, our lack of control, and and how uh, how good God is, and how how much He provides, and um, and I think just gives us permission to to let go rather than that scrabbling, struggling to hold on and fix it and make it right. Um, you know, especially if we're worried about how we will look. So bravo Zoe for stepping up in her class. I mean, we're laughing here about it, but it really occurs to me actually for someone of her age, how brave that was to step up in front of her class, knowing that hers would not look like everyone else's. Mm -hmm. And that means everything when you're that age, right? right? I mean, even if you personally think something's cool or you value it, if it's different from your peers, like you can't, you just can't do it. So the fact that she could step up and own it and say, yeah, I created an epic disaster and I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to share it with you and we're going to have a laugh about it. That's amazing. I know. Hey, and that Zoe. science matters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that's true, though. I think a lot of the stress does come from trying to pretend it didn't happen or didn't go wrong or I didn't make a mistake or whatever the thing was. And I find that anytime I experience a rising tension in myself, often it's because not just am I trying to control something that's out of control, I'm trying to control other people's perception of me in the middle of that mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. And so if I am just able to say, wait, And I find now I've learned through the years that as my temperature is rising to ask myself, wait a minute, are you trying to cover up? Like, is a cover up (laughs) happening right now, Lisa Joe? And like, it might be the simplest, dumbest thing. And yet I do. I'm trying to like put a spin on it, whether it's with my family or at my job or at church. And it is such a relief to just say, oh, I'm trying to put a cover up. So it's it's already stressful that I'm behind or I missed a deadline or I forgot to pick up a kid or whatever the thing is. It's much worse when I'm trying to make it seem like I didn't do it. And so I find it's easier to just own it. Like it just takes a lot of the sting out and it helps everybody else just immediately rally. Like if there's something that needs to be fixed, you know, like if Zoe hadn't told me that she had made that error, I would have walked back to my bedroom and I don't know what would have happened to the interior of our oven (laughs) or our house for that matter. But the fact that she told me and she laughed about it, 
allowed me to become involved with her and try to help rescue the situation. And I have to say a shout out to my husband, Peter, because the despair inside that oven was so great. And and then inside my soul, as I imagined trying to clean it, and Pete just immediately was like, nope, this is on me. I am going to love my family by cleaning this oven. And I had to leave for a work event. It's why I had been so busy that night. And so the next day, he actually texted me photographs of the inside of the oven to say, look how much I love my family. <laughs> he, had, he had gone about cleaning it. But, but yeah, when we invite people in, we're not so alone. We're not hiding anymore. There are more hands to help us figure it out. But it is surprising to me how my natural instinct is always to cover up. Always. Like, no matter how dumb the thing is, I want to somehow make it seem that I am, it's not my fault. I'm not to blame. It happened. And I remember a professor in law school once talking about how his wife is, his wife was Spanish speaking. And he said, when you translate I, I, so I don't know the Spanish. He just told us the English because he was talking about how as human beings, we don't want to take responsibility for things. And he said in Spanish, it's so interesting because you can phrase, instead of saying, I dropped the pen, he said, she'll say things like, the pen fell to me. Uh. And so it's like the pen's fault that it fell. <laughs> and I think that's sort of what we all do. Like somehow we're like, Oh, the cake exploded, you know, mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. woman you gave me caused me to sin. Right. the snake that was in the garden. Like we've been doing it forever. It's almost programmed into our DNA. It is so difficult to move out of that place and own it. And I, I was thinking about that last night when I was listening to some worship station and on on in a car that doesn't allow me to connect my Bluetooth. So I couldn't play like Spotify. So I had just the radio on and sometimes I can be a bit of a radio snob. <laughs> and I was listening to a, a Christian station and there was a song on and it was sort of, you know, in the anthem of worship music that is about essentially describes God a lot like a, I feel like it could just be a romance pop song. You know, God is just like, he just loves you, loves you, loves you. And while that is true, like there are other parts of God's character that are relevant <laughs> to understanding and informing his love. And there was a line that bothered me so much. I spoke out loud back <laughs> to the car. And I think it's because we're in the season of Lent. It is a season of our own sinfulness, our own mortality, our mortality, which is the result of our sin. We are living with it. Christ comes in to redeem and save us. He, he doesn't just love us. He actually has to come and like pay the price for us. Like he has to come and do something. Anyway, there's a line in the song in which they talked about how much God loves us, no matter how many mistakes you've made. And they used the word mistakes and it bothered me so much, like to my core, because I think part of my struggle with just the the story of our culture is that we make mistakes, not that we are sinners who sin. We make mistakes. And I think part of what I'm embracing this Lent is the reminder that we don't just make mistakes. We, we sin. We want to be the God of our own kingdoms. We don't want to bow to anyone but ourselves. Like, we are inherently 
programmed to want to cover up anything we've done wrong and call it a mistake, <laughs> not a sin. <laughs> mistake is a much more sanitary word than sin. And so sometimes there are just mistakes, but sometimes we are sinning, like we are breaking covenant with God. And um, I feel like this took a dark turn, Christine. <laughs> But I'll just say it's worth reminding ourselves of that because without recognizing what we're doing as sin, we really diminish Christ's redemptive work in our lives. Like we actually diminish his love and his grace because he came while we were still sinners, while we were in open and active rebellion against him, while we were in the pig pen, if you want to think of the prodigal son— he came for us. Like he, he wasn't even waiting for us to realize we needed him. He was already coming to get us. And it's such hope. It's such encouragement. It's such good news. Like that we have a God who isn't just trying to wipe little mistakes under the rug. He's saying, no, come and tell me exactly who you are. The worst whopper sin you have. Bring it to me because my love is so big. It will wrap around you and wash away that sin. And I think we miss out on the gift of who he actually is if we describe what we're doing as mistakes, if we try to wrap it up and pretend we're fine. We, we miss out on like the actual extravagant, almost offensive nature of God's love that is so generous uh, that it, it's shocking. It's shocking how much he is willing to come and get to us in our very worst disasters. Hey, so since you went there first, I will follow. Do it. You know I want you <laughs> so to. I've been reading I've been reading this great little book of Linton homilies by a theologian named Chris Green. I think they're just called Linton homilies. Again, we'll link to it in the show notes. But um I recently read the section on well, I don't remember what it was on. But anyway, he's talking about sin. And he points, he just, he he kind of emphasizes, he's talking about, you know, all those people who are around Jesus before he was put to death, who we know didn't want that, right? Like they, you know, even some of the Pharisees, um, I've been reading the story of Nicodemus, you know, people who who believed that mm. Jesus came from God and and they were they found some things compelling in his teaching. And, you know, there were certainly plenty, the disciples, you know, there were all these people around Jesus who didn't want that to happen. And yet, it's almost like in our society, there's just this, we're just trapped in these situations that none of us can actually change. And so, while lots of people, I think, after Jesus died, felt regret, like, I wish this hadn't happened. Why did this happen? And yet it happened, not because some evil force swooped in and made it happen, but because somehow as humans, we are often just so unable to do anything but something that is somehow going to lead to awfulness. So I'm thinking of Zoe, you know, poor Zoe. It looked it looked okay. I mean, she made a mistake, but at the same time, she's looking at this batter and it's all a bunch of white stuff. And it's like, well... Right. What did she know? She didn't understand, right? right? She didn't understand right. science. You know, right. she didn't understand. And so she so she just kept moving forward. And anyway, in this homily on sin, he he emphasized he's like this is the slavery part, right? Scripture talks about being slaves to sin. And what that means is it's not just here I am standing with a choice to make and oops, I made a mistake. Now sometimes it is. But often it's just moving forward and you can't seem to stop hurting other people and you can't seem to stop being hurt by other people. And it's just so messy. 
And this idea of this love that just rescues us from that, who just pulls us right out of it. Um, because in some sense, uh, quite often we can be so helpless in it. And again, that is not saying that we don't have free will, or we don't have a choice. Like we, yes, we're, we're making choices all the time and we're making mistakes all the time. Um, but often we're just stuck in a whole environment that is going wrong. We're staring at a bowl bowl full of, we don't even know, flour, baking soda, baking powder, and we stick it in the oven anyway. And what happens? The Son of God, you know, is crucified, right? So anyway, I... It is a, let's just say it is a morass. It is a mess. And, um, and it's not, it's our fault. And it's also not our fault. It's something we are caught up in and it's some, it's a way that we are enslaved. And so to remember, um, that we've been freed from it, that that is the rescue and that, you know, when we're, in the hospital with the broken leg, or we just were driving ourselves home from the conference and just telling people, <laughs> I don't know what will happen, but I will not be there to give this talk. Um, you know, in those moments that we can trust the rescuer, you know, we can trust that all shall be well, um, and all manner of things shall be well, as St. Julian says. So it's it's messy, it's complicated, it's, you know, part of me just wants to like be like Peter and say, oh, Zoe, you made it with love. It's okay. And <laughs> and the sad thing is we can make something with what we think is love yes. and it ends up an exploding volcano and we need rescue. <laughs> right. And I think that is the narrative the world wants to tell us, as long as you're loving, you know, you can do anything where you're the king of your own kingdom, but you did it with love. So that makes right. it okay. And but we you, are might, just here you to, might create a volcano. <laughs> we're just here to tell you, yeah, that is not, a, that is not always the case. <laughs> <laughs> Science matters. <laughs> but here's the encouragement. Um, there's a verse from Isaiah that I love so much because I think what happens is once we start to get caught in the quicksand of sin, and I think generational sin, long sins, uh, Christy and I have talked about this before. I feel like the older I get, the more that there are just like certain sins that like just become like a holding pattern somehow. And you feel like, wait, the longer I've walked with Christ, why why are certain things harder and harder? Or it's almost as if the enemy knows the way to get you and he just plays that same note over and over again. <laughs> and those aren't mistakes. That is sin. That is the understanding that I am a slave to something that I can't just love my way out of or be good enough out of or, you know, have what it, I can't manifest my way out of it. Like, <laughs> I actually need someone to free me from something. Like, I need a God to come into my life and say, I'm that's done now. Like, I, I free you, not through anything I do, but recognizing what He has done. And He has freed us. It is over. Like, He has freed us. And we actually have to turn to that identity and put it on. Like, we have to take that from Him. We have to receive His freedom. And there's this beautiful verse from Isaiah 62, verse 4. I have this book I keep. Um, some people keep journals or diaries. I don't do that. Um, but I write down quotes. So I have this leather-bound journal. And anytime I find a quote from anywhere that I like, I write it in here. And so I write the date down too. So in May of 2016 <laughs> is when I found this verse that I really love. And this is what it said says, um, and it's about how God gives us a new name. And it says, you will be called, my delight is in him. 
And I just love that idea that God comes and he gives us a new name pointing to where our delight should be, because what we are really good at is following the delights that we want, (laughs) the things that are easy for me, whatever my default is to self-soothe or self-comfort. Those are not usually good for me. But Christ comes and he says, your name is, my delight is in him. And what an amazing promise, the banner he paints over us, that no matter what morass you're coming out of or the kitchen of your life looks like, like God actually believes and says this is a fact about you, that your delight is in him. That is your new name. And he delights in you because, and he invites you to delight in him. And in that place, we start to walk toward freedom because we are looking for delights in the right places. And I think essentially what sin is, is looking for delight in the places where God is not. You know, that that's where what it essentially is. It's looking for delight opposed to or outside of God. And so, yeah, who knew that Zoe's baking story would turn, <laughs> turn into a, a morality tale about sin? But it is, tis the season, friends. Tis the season. Tis the season indeed. Oh, thanks for sharing that story. And um, give Zoe our love and gratitude. <laughs> well. <laughs> and friends, make sure you go leave us a review because apparently we're now a cooking show and not about diseases anymore. So we look forward to seeing those five-star reviews. <laughs> <laughs>